Hey, welcome to January Man, the January Boys fan cast. I'm so tired. And I'm forming a team of rivals. Um, happy uh, Easter, or day before, e day after, when we're recording this. Happy day adjacent to Easter. Yes, it is the day adjacent to Easter, um, also known as Priester, or if you're listening to this after Easter, which you will be, because I'm not releasing it until after Sunday, Poster. We have to let this podcast uh, remain dead for three days, at least, and then finally it will arise to the cloud. Um, much like a kombucha, it has to ferment in a cave. I bet you guys didn't know that that was part of the process of uh, forming these episodes. Yeah, that's how the sausage gets made. I mean, podcast. We do include some sausage elements occasionally. The M in MP3 stands for meat. The other letters just stand for P3. I mean, what else would they stand for? Yeah, Jesus. Get over yourselves, Jeremy. Today we're going to continue our exploration into the January Boys TV show uh, with episode 8, which is uh, really a Jeb... I guess it's not exactly a Jeb bottle episode, but it is focused exclusively on Jeb. It's a jeb episode. Yeah. Uh, Jeb episode. And this Jeb episode almost exclusively takes place in the city of Atlantis, which he did discover at the end of the last episode. Um, it's gleaming teal and white towers in the middle of the ocean. Um, the big domes, the beauty of it all. Um, so, yeah, before we jump into the episode though um we you may have noticed that we did not release an episode as planned um about two weeks ago and the reason for that is redacted by order of the united states government in coalition with the people's republic of china and so that's really why we um we didn't i'm sorry that we didn't but um it really was very important that we uh, go do that. So Yeah, uh, we thought you'd understand once we had a chance to really fully explain it like we just have. Yeah, and that does eat up quite a bit of our time, but um, I think that the explanation warrants the extra 20 minutes. So we're going to go into a quick sponsorship. I know you've been waiting a long time for us to kind of talk about uh, the episode itself, but um, just a quick word from our sponsors and then we'll be right back. This is what I came up with. It's simple, but I kind of like it. Oh, okay. Lives will never leave. Staring back around, 
Okay, and we're back, and we're going to talk about the Jebisode, the Atlantis Jebisode, everyone's favorite Jebisode, and um, we're actually getting pretty close to the uh, finale here, so it's pretty, uh, it's a pretty strong choice to just give Jeb this whole feature, Um, and I think the thought behind it was, Joe Joe is becoming his own person, and we got to see uh, a lot more of that happen. Um, last episode, we got to see him sort of become a more fleshed out character. In contrast, we really just saw um, physical external struggles um, with Jeb. Um, the loneliness is an internal struggle, but loneliness at sea, external. And, and I think that this sort of deals with Jeb's own perceptions forming uh, when he discovers this mythical city. What do you think? Yeah, what I really get a sense of in this is the contrast from Jeb's plotline before where he continually just gets like grimy and greasy and uh, you know as the time goes by uh, at sea and he, you see the restorative power when he finds Atlantis and sometimes I almost wonder was this a physical place or is it like a metaphor for something because it seems to really strike at the heart of Jeb in a really particular way uh yeah, it's very neat. Um, the streets of Atlantis are clean. Um, there's sort of this almost 1950s, early 1960s mod look to it, or like a retro-futuristic um, sort of like they're flying cars, but there's only a few because, you know, it's a smaller town. Yeah. Well, it's a city. It's a smaller city. Um, but when he, when he steps off of his... Uh, driftwood or whatever he's floating on i can't recall really um it's been a while since i've watched the episode when he steps off that onto the shores of atlantis um instantly he is uh almost swept up by a a a little uh floating street sweeper and it just bloop and polishes him and then he is kind of thrown into these pristine streets of uh beautiful uh, 1950s-esque uh, bakeries and and storefronts, and, and Jeb is just, um, well, I mean, it's not so weird for him, because it is technically the 1950s. Um, I mean, there is, it's still different. It's all just covered in, like, teal, and uh, the retro-futurist thing is still, like, not, it's not conventional 1950s. There's a lot of those like rounded edges in a lot of buildings and things, and he's mm-hmm. like a little confused at first. But then he's he sees the sign that says "Welcome to Atlantis," and then, then he goes like, "Oh, right, that makes perfect sense." Yeah, I do. I do like the slogan that the set designers chose for Atlantis: "A place." Yeah, and then he wanders through the. He goes down Main Street in Atlantis. And it's funny, it's very much like the opening to Beauty and the Beast, where everybody is just, like, doing their jobs, and they're singing a song, and he's kind of wandering through it. Except it's in Atlantean, uh, the ancient language that no one has decoded yet. So we, like, nothing, it's not a conventional rhyme scheme, he's just wandering through. 
and then they talk to him to give him a lyric, and he's he just responds, "Hi, I'm Jeb," and they're like, "Oh, you oh you speak English? Okay, we should have. I wish we'd known that uh, before we started the song. We could have done this in English, but that's we're not gonna do it again. Anyway, hi. Yeah, that is um, probably one of my favorite parts. Uh, as as someone who uh, was brought up speaking Atlantean, um, just in the home, if not in school, because not a lot of people speak it anymore. Um, you know, they're like, this is America, speak American, not Atlantean. And I'm like, Like, how does that, what part of that don't you understand? And um, then they will say, all of it, and I will say, well, you should watch this episode if you want a basic crash course in Atlantean, because essentially what the owners of Disney Corporation don't know is that the scriptwriters did literally steal uh, bits from that song in the opening of Be- Beauty and the Beast, but they just translated it into Atlantean and put it into um, a slightly different key. So it's like... Like that, which is here comes that here comes the baker with his tray, like always. Like it's mm. not, it's you know, it doesn't rhyme in Atlantean. It's like an internal emotional rhyme when you put it in Atlantean. Yeah, um, I just I haven't spoken it in so long. I didn't get the the lower throat singing part right, but um, I'm not a singer by any means, so. Yeah, you're professionally not a singer. In fact, you have that on your business cards. Yeah, all my business cards say, don't make me sing. Um, But back to the episode. Enough with my own hang-ups. And so then they welcome him to Atlantis. They say, well, we we saw you stranded out on the ocean, and we drew you in via our current control device, which we will someday use to destroy the entire world. But for now... That's a that's a real thing. That's not um that's it's crazy that they would even open Atlantis to this film crew in the first place. But the second is that they're just sharing government secrets um that are hold, held near and dear to the Atlantean populace. I'm just I'm amazed and astounded and a little bit hungry. Um but aside from that, I just don't think that that was a smart choice on the we all know, of course, that once Atlantis did officially reveal itself um, back in 20, what was it, 16, 20, uh, I think 20, 2015. Yeah, yeah, 2015. Um, that um, that uh, North Korea instantly wiped them out with their nuclear tests, and it just didn't work out for anybody. But um, the fact that they were just so glib, and, or not glib, so uh, open and honest with their plan to destroy uh, most of the land dwellers, as we call you. Um, uh, sorry, it's kind of... The, the actual Atlantean term for land dwellers translates to fish with legs, and I just... It's really funny. It's, it's um, a great image. Me. It's a really good image, right? Um, it's it's basically like land... Like, like mermaids for you. Well, famously hilarious to people. Hilarious to... Of course, just famously hilarious. And um, for us, it's like, you don't have gills. What the fuck is going on? Um, 
But um, what was I? Sorry, I got off track. Um, what was I saying? Oh, right. So anyway, the Atlantean plot to destroy most landwalkers um, completely ousted. They even show you the secret government hideout because they're like, we never have film crews. Why haven't you guys come lately? Uh, what's what's the deal? We just mostly get like Joe Rogan podcasts about us. Yeah, which any you know, if that's all you get, you're gonna get a little lonely. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's met Joe Rogan or listened to his voice for longer than five minutes feels an astounding loneliness just deep in the pit of their soul. Uh, Joe Rogan, enemy of the podcast and the podcasting format, actually, now that I think about it. Um, Looking for sponsorships, anyone who hates Joe Rogan. All right, moving on. The Atlanteans welcome Jeb to their city with, uh, with open arms and tentacles. They almost seem too friendly is the the bizarre thing. Jeb is grateful to have been uh, saved from starvation out on the high seas. Uh, but it's just one of those deals where sometimes you're ju- you just visit some place for the first time and it's the warmth out and first introduction is like great and then it just keeps going and increasing like a slow hot oven and you're like this is this is really a very warm welcome this is is anybody else getting this warm welcome or is is this a hot welcome is this a roasting welcome and you see jeb does begin to sweat around halfway little beads of uh sweat appear on jeb's uh forehead about halfway through the episode and the picture does start to like wave, you know, it just starts to like waver the way uh, images do in the desert over long distances. Yeah, it kind of. If anyone else has ever seen um, Muppets Treasure Island, there's that scene where they're about to go into the the cabin fever song, and they're just it's sort of the stretching of the face across the screen, and they just sweat, and um, it's actually very disturbing. I don't understand why Hans Zimmer was a part of that project. Those are two unrelated sentences, but um, I am disturbed. Well, it's funny. If you get the special edition DVD, uh, it does have a Q&A session with Hans Zimmer where he explains why he was part of the Muppet Treasure Island project. And that's it. That's his only question. It's really confusing yeah. why he's on there, but... um. It's mostly the LSD was cheap. Yeah, but that is a... It's funny that you mention that and that that is one of the special features on the DVD of the TV show. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm amazed and astounded and a little bit hungry about that. Still? Oh, no, this is about the separate thing. So eventually, after being, uh, like... After being kind of wined and dined, like, they take him to multiple restaurants and feed him feasts of traditional Atlantean dishes. Taco Bell, mostly. Yeah, they really like it there. Yeah, um, Demolition Man, the film with uh, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, originally was supposed to take place in Atlantis, but it's very, very expensive to film there. And so they um, changed the plot for it to take place in the future San Angeles um, sorry, we're giving you a lot of trivia about other pop culture spheres, which you can find on the internet, you know, you can find on the outer net, you can find on the deep web. If you really look, you can find all of this information. What you're here for 
is this next ad. Good evening. My name is Bigfoot, or Sasquatch if you prefer. You may not know this, but in addition to being an iconic cryptid, I'm a Harvard-educated political journalist. I do hope you'll join me on my new podcast, Cryptic Cryptids. On the show, I will debate other mysterious and rarely sighted beings and grill them on the topics of the day. Here is an excerpt from my upcoming interview with the Loch Ness Monster. Yes, well, I see where you're coming from, but I still take issue with your position on military intervention overseas. You say it like it's a joke, but I'm going to have to press you on the civilian death toll in Syria. Hard-hitting stuff. Join me. Won't you? Wow. Wow. Whoa. I... Wow. I'm glad we decided to do this episode just for that ad. Yeah. I mean, I look forward to the ads every episode um, because they mean I don't usually have to talk. um, Because it's actually extremely painful for me to talk through this girder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. But, I mean, it's picking up on the recording device, so I guess we're fine. No, totally. It's just I can't breathe ever. Actually, um, my gills are the only thing keeping me alive. Um, And speaking of gills, the Atlantean president makes a cameo. Oh, man, the Atlantean president is so charismatic. Yeah, um, the Atlantean president, also known to most people by his stage name, um, Paul Newman, is, uh, well, he's an actor. Right, and he he did uh, travel overseas to go to Kenyon College in Kansas, I think. Kansas? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Kansas. Can Kansas? Can't yeah. Kansas or Michigan? Um, Moultres? One of those states. And I I just want everyone to know from the bottom of of my heart. Um, I do not agree with his policies. I do not think landwalkers are all the devil, but Paul Newman definitely thinks that. And uh, he says it several times throughout the episode, outside of his actual scripted lines. Now, as a professional actor, you'd think that he would just stick to the script, you know, not improvise, not look directly into the camera when he does improvise. But um, because he has diplomatic immunity and they were on his shores... Um, oftentimes Eric Andre had to actually get Paul Newman back on track, uh, and say, hey, um, we're doing a show here, which made for a very interesting episode, because they didn't cut any of it. It's almost in the documentarian style, and it does make me wonder, did they actually ask to film in Atlantis, or did they just get swept out to sea? It's a good question, as, uh... The January Boys TV series was known for trying to shoot on location. They had the built this act. They built this actual town, but they liked to go on between episodes and look for interesting locations. And sometimes uh, they would go out to sea, just like overnight, just to see if they landed someplace interesting. Now um, there is, of course, the scene that we kind of briefly touched on already where they take Jeb to the depths of Atlantis and show him the device that is supposed to be used to raise the water levels and, you know, destroy all landwalkers. And that's cool because the ghost of Elvis makes a cool cameo as, like, the lead scientist. That's his actual job. It's, if people, if you were ever wondering what happened to Elvis, he is the head of science 
um, in the Atlantean government. Just letting you know now, um, you can stop looking. Didn't go to Mars. Actually, he switched bodies with somebody. That guy went to Mars. And now, he is the Atlantean science counselor. Um, very cool guy. I've, I've been on a couple of uh, elementary school and middle school tours. I just hitched a ride uh, of the facility. And, um, yeah, basically they keep him in a little metal box. And he's all like, oh, oh, oh. I wish I could taste things again. Because I could go for a fried peanut butter and banana sandwich. And um, he, when asked, that is the cause of his death. Fried foods. Sorry, I was. I should have been more specific. Not taste. Fried foods. The the sense of taste. Well, maybe the sense of taste killed him because was the cause of death because he was drawn to the fried foods. Yeah, we don't have those on Atlantis, so. Ah, uh, yeah. R- rare delicacy. After being so welcomed by the Atlantean community, Jeb is shocked at this plan to uh, destroy the Landwalkers, and he tries to talk them out of it. And um, he he succeeds, sort of. He he gives them an ultimatum. Either you stop your plan for at least another 20 years, or I stop all of the shipments of oily foods and fried foods coming to you from the mainland off the beach of Montana. And then he pauses and says, please clap. He makes a very impassioned speech, actually, um, that does not carry over very well because uh, English is spoken in Atlantis, but not very well. And it's, yeah. And so when he says, please clap, he actually, after the pause, has to, like, clap for himself a little bit. And then um, he just leaves. He just goes, like, he just commandeers a boat and leaves. Like, the, it's very anticlimactic, but you do get to see Jeb um, be a fierce patriot and citizen of the world. Um, this is sort of the start of his communist proclivities, as we're well aware. Um, Jeb Bush has run as a socialist and communist in every American election he's ever been a part of. And that's a fact. You can Google that. Just Google communist Jeb. It'll come up. Now what? I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, I guess... Now we can talk about the journey back, which is also part of the episode. It's very brief. Um, Turns out Atlantis is not as far off the coast of Montana as we all thought. Um, It seemed very far away from the montage of him just, like, growing a thick beard and getting sunburned. with it, yeah. Yeah. But Um, uh, it turns out he he had been kind of going around in a circle that whole time. And then he gets to the uh, Creek Beach beach front, and um, he has to ride a horse down with his... He actually... Sorry, I forgot to bring this up. This is such a big, important part of the episode, but he does make friends with an Atlantean who is like-minded. Um, and that Atlantean is like, I want to see the mainland, and then they have to, you know, they have to, like... Get that's how he gets the ship in the first place. It's not just like he just punches a guy, and well, he does punch a guy, but it's not like he just does it. He has help, um, and so th- he and his uh, f- friend, whose name escapes me right now for some reason, I almost left out that whole plot point. But um, 
is it like Johnson? I think it's Jackson. Jackson. Jackson, but with like an X or something, mm-hmm. like J-X, J-A-X-O-N. Right. Thank you. Um, so Jackson helps him get this boat, and they sail very quickly to the Creek Beach. Beach? The beach of, yeah. They sail very quickly to Creek Beach, and they make landfall, and then there are two horses there, and they jump on those horses, and they ride them to the end of the beach. And then you just see Jeb get off his horse. Uh, Eric Andre does a great just a beautiful heartfelt moment from Eric Andre. You don't see a lot of those. Um, but so he gets on his knees and he just pounds his fist into the ground and he says, you fools, you blew it up. Damn you. Damn you all to hell. And um, that's when we see that Anton's actually is like half in the ground and they fade to black. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's like on fire and half, half in the ground, man. What a twist. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Um, and in the next episode, we'll probably talk a little bit more. The crazy thing is it doesn't go into the cause of the destruction in the next episode. It just goes into the aftermath, and it's just a new reality. And I think that's a metaphor for um, birth, 9-11. Take your pick. Same shit. What a twist. Oh, uh, we got some uh, news in our news segment, which is called News for Yous. Um, Ian McDermott is going to be, uh, it, this is announced recently at the Star Wars celebration, which I did not expect uh, January Boys to come at all, come up at all. But Ian McDermott is going to have absolutely nothing to do with January Boys. They announced it um, on stage after they announced his inclusion in Episode 9 of Star Wars, but he is going to have absolutely nothing to do with January Boys, nor is Disney Corporation going to have any incorporation of Jeb Bush or Joe Biden into the new upcoming series, The Mandalorian, and um, there will be absolutely nothing Star Wars related. No George Lucas cameos, no, um, no Anthony Hopkins He's not in Star Wars, but he announced at Star Wars Celebration that he would not be a part of this new series, uh, or of this new movie. Um, Anthony Hopkins actually flew to Chicago to announce at a party that he would have nothing to do with the January Boys um, franchise in any way, shape, or form from here on out. While dressed as a stormtrooper, he actually revealed himself to be Anthony Hopkins punched a guy in the face, threw him through a glass window, and then said, I will not have anything to do with the January Boys franchise ever. And that is big news for all of us here at January Men. And this segment has been... News for yous. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's our show, unless you have anything... Do you have a uh, merch watch for us? No. Okay. Well, that's our show then. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, uh, sorry about the 20-minute the ex- uh, explanation of where we were last week. but um, yeah. You know, I, I, just, I think we should touch on it real quick again. I know this is going to make the episode extra long. Yeah, just a quick recap. But so it 
redacted by order of the government of the United States of America and the People's Republic of China. And blood. And blood. Like, everywhere. So oh clearly God. we had to a clean lot. it up. Mm-hmm. It, it took a long time. Um, yeah. And then there was that part when redacted by the Guatemalan government. But, you know, he was allergic to peanuts. So it all worked out in the end. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before we head out? As always, redacted by order of the People's Republic of China, the Guatemalan government, and Ronald McDonald, savior of popes. January Men is hosted by Davis Banta and A.V. Eichenbaum with music by Brennan McKay. Thanks for listening. Zos to you. Look both ways before you cross the street. Oh yeah, and that um, that song was You Can't Spell Romantic Without Drunken Antics by Babaruga. You can find it at babaruga.bandcamp.com.